This week, we're talking about local chocolate, climate justice, and civil rights leader Dolores Huerta. For the last three years, the city of Tempe has acknowledged civil rights leader Dolores Huerta on her birthday, April 10th, and that's coming up around the corner. So we thought we'd have an entire show dedicated toward all the work that she's doing and how people in our community are connected to it. So Dolores Huerta is known for working alongside Cesar Chavez with um, farm workers to improve living conditions throughout the United States and Arizona. And she's turning 93 years old this Ooh. week. And we are so excited that she continues today to lead the efforts to improve people's lives, whether they're farm workers or laborers of any kind. And uh, we have guests today that are um, have connections with that work and with Dolores Huerta. And we have with us today, Dr. Valisa Humes, Chief Diversity Officer with the City of Tempe. Thank you. Judith Aram from Mage Chocolate Company. Dr. Hugo Tapia, uh, Chair of the Human Relations Commission. Brenda Clark, City of Tempe Neighborhood Services. Brianne Fisher, Sustainability and Resilience Office, uh, Climate Action Manager. Roy Tatum, co-host of Tempe This Week, the podcast. And I'm Chris Baxter-Gang. I always forget to introduce myself. So, hi, everybody. Hi, Chris. Before we got started today, Judith was really awesome, and she has put out an array of beautiful chocolate products. Yes, she has. Amazing. We're here today with Judith Aram, owner of Midge Chocolate, uh, one of our BIPOC micromanufacturing grant winners. Mm-hmm. Midge Chocolate's an organic... Mm-hmm. Ah, Mitch Chocolate's Thank an organic, you. sugar-free chocolate uh, company, and they craft everything here in Tempe. Dolores Huerta would be so proud because she works with cacao farmers from all over the world using more than fair trade processes and practices. Mm. So the workers are treated really fairly, and they have good working conditions. Roy, tell us what's in front of us. Wow, we have an amazing um, setup and the, the smell is just as amazing mm-hmm. because walking in the, the room today to record, you could smell the uh, aroma of chocolates and coffee um, and more chocolate. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, as I say that, people around the table are smiling because they smell the same thing in there. Seeing uh, this display of uh, an, an assortment of uh, chocolates, cacao. Um, uh, I believe we have a, a, a vegan chocolate-covered date. Yes, Is and that, garbanzo uh, spread. And garbanzo spread. Tell us about some of your products, Judith, and tell us about how you how you got started in the chocolates. Okay, um, it's a long story, but I'm gonna make it short. Uh, during COVID, I obviously ended up no job at all. Everything was closed, and single mom, three kids. So I'm also an artist, I'm like a painter. So that came me go through my pandemic thing, selling art. I sold more art during the pandemic wow. than any, any, yeah. So one of my customers is the owner of Cortez Coffee Company here in Tempe, uh, Ronald Cortez. And we have a friend in common. So this friend, Greggy Hall, 
uh, he, he called me and said, hey, Judith, uh, this, this guy from Cortez, he saw your painting, a painting of Anthony Bourdain. It's a huge painting, and he wants it. I said, right on. Where is he at? He's in Tempe. Okay, I'm, so I'm gonna, I, I, I broke curfew, pandemic, I drove all the way to Tempe <laughs> because I used to live on the west side. And when I got there, he, the guy saw the painting said, Anthony is not leaving this place. And, but I, for my surprise, I didn't left either. Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah. Nice. So it's been almost three and a half years that I, I, I've been working with, uh, with them. But um, anyway, um, he he started showing me the roaster, the coffee roaster. Mm. Then he he took me in the back. Don't think wrong, but um, he showed no. me all this <laughs> white. You're not dog. You're not dog. Oh yeah, I am. Yeah. I said okay, it's my chance. <laughs> no, so he showed me this white, huge containers, and when he opens up one of them, it was full of cacao beans. Oh. Top. It was huge. So when he opens up that that uh, container, and I saw the the cacao beans and the smell, and I touched the beans, that was it. I was I was totally lost. I lost control of myself. Say, I want to work with this. I mm. I, I want this in my life. I, mm. it, it was a meeting connection, like a spiritual mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic. So Ron Cortez taught me everything about making chocolate and the the roasting, the breaking, winnowing. It, all the process of chocolate so and for now on um, I, I put myself together and, and start studying formulas and and doing my own f um, uh, formulas my own recipes and um, a year ago we st we start planning to get uh, get it um, separated from Cortez but it wasn't it wasn't that easy because I needed to start my own business kind of thing, and I wasn't have I didn't have any any funds. So uh, Rail CDC walked in in December, and he offered a grant, and I said he offered it to Cortez, and he he didn't want it. So I said, hey, oh, wow. can I have it so I can have my chocolate company for me? I mean, for my chocolate. And he said, yeah, so, yeah, fill out the application, send it over. All right, so, um, what can I lose? And so I s fill it up, I send it over, and the first week of January, they send me an email saying, congratulations, you won the grant. Mm. And I was like, and I haven't stopped ever since. I just want to say the, the passion in, in Judith's face and a little emotion. I can see a little emotion. Oh, I'm very passionate, on, yes. On you, you know, because uh, this is an amazing story. So I, I didn't want to stop it, but I just want to say for the listener that there's an amazing amount of passion and even some emotion uh, as you're, you're talking about your journey. So, Oh, please. absolutely. Thank you. Um, the reason I uh, we choose to put my chocolate in jars is I used to make bars, chocolate bars. But bars, chocolate bars, needs a lot of fillers mm -hmm. and a lot of extra ingredients that are not healthy. Mm -hmm. Milks, uh, pectins, a lot of things that yeah. not healthy at all. So I only use 80% chocolate, cacao, and organic cane sugar. I add MCT oil to my jars, make it a, as a healthy Nutella kind Good of thing, if, if I might say, if I can say that brand. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's an artisan product. It does need some heating from the microwave, so you can soften it up. I think you tried already, right? Yeah. Yes, Judith, I have. I own I, all of these jars at <laughs> home. Yes. I just have to say for the listeners, 
the quality of the mm. product that you are tasting mm. is far better than a Nutella, than a peanut butter. Mm -hmm. You taste the cleanliness of it. You taste how pure it is. Yes. It, you taste the quality without a doubt, and you can tell that this is a crafted product. Endorsed by Brienne Fisher. That's what I was gonna say. Thank you, Brienne, <laughs> for bringing that up because I want to speak to some to you, and thank you personally, Judith. This is this is exquisite. You know, I mean, somebody who has been uh, brought up on Hershey yeah. chocolate, you know, and thought that was the good stuff, right? <laughs> um, the the coconut, the consistency, the quality, and the fact that you were inclusive enough to share this experience with those of us who have a hard time having like experiences, I thank you for thinking of us. Thank you. Also really endorsed by Dr. Valicia Hume. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, so Judith, let me, uh, because I'm sure you, you may get to this, but let's talk about the name Midge Chocolate, M-I-D-G-E, yeah. Midge Chocolate. Midge is a, the pollinizing bee for cacao flower. But it's so funny because people think I am Mitch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so every time I, I do my, yeah. Hey, so awesome. it's a pollinizing moth, sorry, or bee. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I think we should all try whatever we haven't tried yet. Oh, wait, wait, people have not been able to resist well, taking a bite of this, something. The stuff oh, dates are, the like first, first thing is the dates are from a farm, organic farm in Levine. Mm. So I try to buy oh, wow. my products locally. locally. Yeah, desert palm, uh, um, Dates, they are located in Levine, is owned by a family, an Arab family. And um, they're stuffed with roast pumpkin seeds and mm. dry cranberries yeah, and cover an 80% Belizean chocolate. It has mm. a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of anise, and, and organic cane sugar. That is it. And mm -hmm. Judith, can I ask, this is Brenda at Neighborhood Services. Um, can you tell us what we might put it on or how people might might eat it sometimes. Absolutely. Um, uh, the box, the Mitch box, contains three, four ounces jars of chocolate spread, garbanzo spread, and coffee spread. So when you heat it up, you can spread it, drizzle, dip your fruit. Uh, you can make your own hot or cold drinks. Mm. And with the garbanzo spread, it's an alternative for people who has uh, peanut allergies. Garbanzo is, this is the best option. And also you can do, instead of peanut butter and jelly, garbanzo, jelly, and I don't know, and add some bananas and nuts to your sandwich. I see, mm -hmm. okay. And with the coffee, it's very, very particular because you can, if you go camping, you can take this camping, um, warm it up with uh, in a container with hot water, it will soften up, and you can make your own espresso, or you can make your own mocha if you add hot milk. This is Brian. If for the coffee lovers out there, the the coffee spread is so fire. It is so good. Uh, my personal favorite is the a coffee ice cream. So I have not mm. done this yet, but I cannot <laughs> wait in the summertime to get some oh, yeah. vanilla, plain vanilla, and just drizzle the coffee spread Absolutely. over top with some crunchy on top, and that's going to be my summer snack for sure. Absolutely. I really also wish you all could see the smiles <laughs> around the table <laughs> right now. <Just> well, yes. <laughs> and then it's the quality that's so good, right? Yes. But then you think about how how you're doing is. your business and how you're supporting yeah. local and you're supporting these farmers and it it 
it makes it taste 10 times better. You know, you, yeah. you want to support this so much more because you're doing it in the right way. It's a clean product and it's a delicious product. So, you. you know, it, I think hearing the backstory of what you're doing makes things taste better. And, you know, big shout out to our economic development team who yes. put in the BIPOC uh, manufacturing oh, yes. grants. Um, I, I know Rail, big shout out to Rail CDC as oh, well. Yes. A great community uh, organizer in Tempe, mm-hmm. supporting uh, smaller businesses to, to thrive along Apache Corridor. Mm-hmm. So it's just nice to hear that these programs are working as intended and mm-hmm. to be highlighting and celebrating um, you, Judith, and, and your uh, congratulations again on Thank where you. you've come. How can uh, our listeners get a hold of Midge Chocolates? You can go on MidgeChocolate.com and you can order online and that's it. M-I-D-G-E Chocolate. Uh-huh, com. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, we've learned a lot. We've tasted a lot. It's been so much fun. Um, now we're going to talk a little bit more about the farmers themselves. And <coughs> Dr. Hugo Tapia is here to talk to us about how these things come to be. You know, if it weren't for the farm workers from around the world, we wouldn't be able to have your chocolates. We wouldn't be able to have grapes or most of the food we enjoy today. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dolores Huerta is a civil rights icon, as we've mentioned, and she's credited with the slogan used by United Farm Workers, Si Se Puede, or Yes We Can, mm-hmm. which really I personally think means Yes We Will. And uh, the work she did helped farmers earn a living wage and better working conditions, and I personally think saved many lives. Um, Dr. Hugo Tapia, who's sitting right next to me, is the chair of our Human Relations Commission, and he has a really personal connection with Dolores Ware today that he's gonna talk about with us. Not only were his parents migrant farm workers, but he himself was a farm worker as a child, and his journey is an amazing one, and I want to know more about it. I don't know about everybody else, but I think it's pretty fascinating. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you went from a child who worked in the fields to a doctor at ASU. I grew up in a border town uh, of San Luis, uh, Rio Colorado, and I I think that um, when I think about uh, United Farm Workers Union, um, it certainly brings back a, a tremendous amount of memories about um, about growing up uh, with my with my parents and and actually working in the fields, um, um, you know, picking melons, picking strawberries, picking lettuce, picking all kinds of different things uh, that we uh, that we would do. Um, one of the things that I that I think about. Um, it's really the sacrifice of people like Dolores Huerta who have, um, have certainly fought for, um, for really the improvement of working conditions um, uh, for um, farm workers uh, here in the United States. Um, the 40s uh, with the Bracero uh, kind of movement uh, uh, brought upon uh, a tremendous uh, number of um, 
migrant workers and 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 folks from Mexico to come up and and work on the fields um, here. Uh, a lot of folks stayed here after they were uh, sent back. Um, and my family is one of those. Um, my mother was actually born in Scottsdale uh, in 1928, um, and she's no longer with us, uh, but um, her family was actually a farm worker family here in the valley, um, but they went back to Mexico in the early 30s because my grandfather passed and and they had to go back, so they never came back. My mother was a U.S. citizen, um, and and never never actually came back to to the U.S. Um, Dolores Huerta is actually somebody that I've known all along. Um, as I because my father would talk about uh, Cesar and the movement and. And, and Dolores uh, was, um, was the, also the originator of the movement. You know, as a child, I think I always knew who she was. Uh, I think you'd, you, uh, as an immigrant, as somebody that is in that, in that area, uh, in that space, um, you, you know who these folks are and you, you value them and, and and you kind of revere them in some ways uh, because they're the ones that provided um, a lot for for our populations, and uh, and kind of gave um, really a life of service. Uh, that um, that is it's an incredible journey that that um, is is very well documented when when we actually start looking at her history and and things like that. So so I think for me. Uh, Chris, uh, that is really what kind of leads to to being passionate about uh, about this particular time and 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 the fact that that we as Tempe take the time to honor somebody like her uh, is actually very meaningful to me personally, and um, and I thank everybody that's uh, around the table that. That is, uh, that is coming together to do this. You mentioned to me some of the conditions that some of the farm workers um, were dealing with even as late as the 70s. Things like crop dusting and um, extremely long hours and children working when they should be in school and those sorts of things. Did this movement help you and your family in particular? I'm one of the youngest. I'm, I'm, I'm the 11th of 12 children in my family. Um, so when we would work on the fields, is one of the, the, the most fun memories that I have because we, we would have a lot of fun uh, connected to a lot of sweat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a, as a young a child jumping into a canal <laughs> after a, a <laughs> hard day of work um, uh, felt in incredible, <laughs> and those were the things that um, um, that really unite us um, uh, as a family. One of the things that I think about um, that ties it to Dolores Huerta is really the the fact that that's where it all began, <laughs> for. Um, 
for the fact that she felt that we needed to take care of our farm workers, um, that we needed to protect them, we needed to use less pesticides that are that are, that are creating havoc in our in our you know in our environment and and um, and killing people that that are actually trying to make a living and and things like that. As a child, I was, you know, repeatedly sprayed by, by, mm. you know, by the airplanes sure. uh, and dusting the fields. And I think that um, those are the kinds of things that kind of stick with you um, as, as we remember somebody like her um, that created the advocacy that was necessary to make the movement of climate a priority. And you've been able to go from the fields to a doctor in, in, uh, of, at ASU. What are some of the things that can be done to help other people who may be in the same situation, who are looking maybe to improve their lives and their livelihoods and their income? Thank you for asking that, Chris. I mean, I, I think the, um, one of the things that I think about uh, quite a bit in the kind of work that I do as a school psychologist um, is really about how do we engage uh, kids and how do we keep them engaged because with without engagement into what we do they will continue to be marginalized <laughs> and um, and when I when I do work with families we, we really work on engaging them into the process, engaging them into the, um, the things that are offered to them, um, and also educate them uh, as to how to acquire the, the skills to, to access those things. My mother had a third grade education, um, but she was a reader. And and she didn't uh, and she didn't go to school because she didn't have that opportunity, but she was extremely passionate about providing us the ability to do so, um, and the ability to have encyclopedias in the home where she would have to pay, <laughs> you know, every every month. Um, for, for years, and I remember those. Um, we had a set of encyclopedias uh, from the time that I can remember um, uh, sitting in our, in our home, and, and, and our, our job was to pick them up and, and imagine mm -hmm. yeah. what we were reading. But I think, I think the journey of, of coming from, from, from where I'm from uh, to to where I'm at now, I it's not because of me. It's because of the people that are around me, um, and it's because of family and and the family that supports you and 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 just kind of gives you the sense that it's okay for you to kind of search and 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 reach for something that that at times seems um, unattainable. For all those people who think that community activism, people like Dolores Huerta and their own personal opinions and their thoughts don't matter, it, it kind of seems like maybe they do. 
what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I think, you know, activism is really where it all begins. I strongly believe that it's our responsibility, I think, to be active and be advocates for those that cannot do so for themselves. Um, and so I take that um, very seriously. And I think that, that my, my drive in life and, and, and as, a, as a person, as a, as a human being, is really to, um, to reach as many, as many folks as I can Thank you, Dr. Tapia. Um, that touches on, segues nicely into what uh, we work hard to do here, I think, as a team in Tempe. I really enjoy uh, hearing about all of your work, and, and it's something that we uh, strive to do here as well, I think, in many, many capacities. We have with us Dr. Valicia Humes. It, she is Tempe's Chief Diversity Officer, and she started with the city last October. Previously, she was a director of Scottsdale Office of Diversity and Inclusion. She has also helped to create the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, other known, otherwise known as UNLV, and established its Student Ethnic Council. And she's also my office neighbor in <laughs> City Hall. Uh, how does Dolores Hall today uh, fit with Tempe's overall diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and tell us why this is an important day to recognize. Dolores Huerta gives us a model of what DEI should embody. And, and I'll take a moment to, to kind of unpack that. We have two new goals of the diversity, equity, and inclusion office. And the first one is to, to just like Dolores, took time and made it passionate to make space to center the voices of those who were being oppressed and marginalized, trying to make a living. Just basically trying to make a living in spaces where people refuse to see their humanity. So uh, she wasn't asking for special treatment. First she was asking to see us as human beings who are trying to provide for our families just like you and and saying and and wanting and hoping wasn't enough but to know that there were others that were around her that felt the same way and connecting with them knowing that the collective can be as powerful as only the individuals that make it up right so she surrounded herself with those people and and just like her the DEI office, one of our goals is to center equity in the workplace. And the way we center equity in the workplace is by making sure that those who have been marginalized by the lack of equity is always included in the work. You know, think about the people who are around here. You know, you, you know how to do certain things. Would you rather somebody come and plan something for you to do that's for you, or would you like to participate in that process? Um, and so that's just human type things, right? So that's inclusion. And the second one is to advance the opportunities in the city of Tempe, inward facing and outwardly facing. 
Because we know if we do that, then we have three results that we want to see. We want to make a commitment to achieve racial equity. And when I say making a commitment, I mean as an organization, as the city municipality, and also providing the necessary training, mindset, and trans skills that employees can use for transformation so that they can individually make those commitments so that we can collectively make a commitment. And then the other one is to work in partnership with others. And one of the things that I really love, and this is what I learned from learning about um, Dolores Huerta, Yes We Can um, became some, one of my heroes' campaign slogans. That's right. Yes We Can was Obama's campaign slogan, which means he learned grassroots organizing from Dolores Huerta. She was one of those teachers. So much, in fact, Obama gave her the highest honor that you can give a civilian. He gave her the uh -huh. Presidential Medal of Freedom. So, and in turn, she was awarded $100,000 for her foundation. Now, her foundation trains people to, come, to become community activists and organizers. Um, the foundation cultivates leaders by providing hands-on civic engagement and opportunities and training with a focus on organizational building through door-to-door -door canvassing, tabling, and phone banking with an emphasis on voter registration, participation in the electoral process, raising awareness of legislative bills affecting local communities, and in 2020, she was on the front line of Black Lives Matter. So this is a good example of why we provide scholarships to young people. And, and that's exactly what I wanted to go right into. I know, because I know uh, you, my friend. <laughs> so the city does uh, offer uh, Dolores Horta a scholarship for community activism. Correct. So can you tell us uh, a, little more, a little bit more about that program? Well, it's, it's for high school students that are in Tempe who actually embody these abilities these grassroots efforts because Dr. Tapia was talking earlier about keeping them engaged and one of the ways you keep young people engaged is by allowing them to do what they have a passion to do and then providing them some guidance in that and then recognizing them and and, and, and why do we recognize them because we want to incentivize them we want to recognize them we want to encourage them and we want to it, <laughs> To, to let them know we value them because they're essential as the next generation to get the next generation of work done. But my point is, is that I didn't get that in any of my inner city schools. So I came in and instead of moving out of haplessness, she moved in hopefulness, mm -hmm. which is what you did yeah. during COVID. You found yourself out of a job and you moved from haplessness, refusing it, to hopefulness. It's the same thing Dolores Wertha did and Maria did. And, and, and each and every one of us at some point in time has done, or we wouldn't be sitting at this table. There is no transformation that occurs in haplessness. It is our goal for the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Office to move that work from transactional work where we say, oh, we need to do an audit. Okay, audit done. Oh, we need to hire some black people. Black people hired. Oh, we need some women. Women done. 
and then we do nothing else to transform our mindsets or our ability to work more inclusively, more culturally competent, so that we can sell, we can serve people better, solve problems better, and serve our constituents better. Talk to us about the future of diversity, equity, and inclusion work right here in the city of Tempe as you see it. My job is to help my colleagues be successful. My job isn't to come in and make the city of Tempe equitable. My job is to create the frameworks and the operational model that will provide my colleagues the skills, the coaching, the data, and the metrics to help them identify what equity is, create a policy for that, um, audit what we have, what we don't, based on what people say we need, determine where those gaps are, and get to work. And whatever those things are that you possess that get in the way of that, to provide you the supports to do the hard work necessary to change your head work that eventually changes the work of your hands. So this is heart, head, and hand work because my hands aren't going to do anything that my head says you don't deserve because of who you are. And I'm never going to change who I think you are if my heart stays the way it is. And so my job is to create those situations where you push yourself, but our leaders hold you accountable, not because it's legal to change, but because it's expected for you to have these tool sets because as a city, in order for us to be inclusive and to not marginalize people who have historically been marginalized is to hold ourselves accountable for what we're saying we need to learn so that we do better. One of the people that you work with regularly um, is right here with us, Brianne Fisher, yes. and she's with our Office of Hi, Sustainability. And you wouldn't think that, you know, DEI and Dolores Huerta, you know, go hand in hand oh. with Yes, the it sustainability, does. Mm. but climate justice—that's mm -hmm. become kind of the new buzz. What, what is it? What? How is your office working with Dolores Ware today? And what's going on, Brianne? Sure. So uh, first, I'd like to just say, Dr. Tapia, what a treasure you are to Tempe, and thank you for doing what you do with the Human Relations Commission and um, all of your colleagues on the Human Relations Commission. It's um, I'm really proud of Tempe and to work for Tempe. We're not perfect, um, but I do think we have a long history of being inclusive, uh, working towards equity, working towards these practices. We have a long way to go as, as every other uh, government entity does, but uh, I think it's a, it's a moving target, right? We always need to grow and evolve, and um, it's just really exciting to see the the group around the table, the programs around the table, we talked about the BIPOC manufacturing, so that's economic development. Mm -hmm. We have HRC, which is a, a volunteer board and commission. We have neighborhood services. It, it's just really great to see that there is an evolution of this work taking place, um, and it it moves at the speed of trust, right, yes. with our community. Right. So um, I, I just wanted to, to share how 
proud I was of, of you know, working for a city that, that does care about this work. And so, so, Chris, to go back to your question, you know, climate justice, um, I think, is, is everything that we've talked about today from kind of the more micro level of where are we sourcing and, mm-hmm. and how are we treating our laborers and our workers and our outside workers and to this more macro level of these incidents, these weather incidents that are taking place, flooding, hurricanes, in our case, extreme heat, and who's suffering the most by that? Mm-hmm. Judith, you have an umbrella that you get to protect yourself from extreme heat. Chris, you get to go into your AC home. But what about the family that is uh, sole provider, children, and taking care of their uh, elderly parent, uh, which we know there's a lot of? and they have two jobs and they can't afford to crank their AC. What happens to that elderly parent Mm -hmm. that's uh, sitting in the home, not gonna touch the AC unit? That is climate injustice. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And right now how it's set up is, you know, it's an individual responsibility. Each one of us has our own responsibility. You get an umbrella, you have your AC bill, I have my water bottle. Those are the ways that we are taking care of um, extreme heat on an individual level. So how as a city, as a department, as a region, how are we thinking about shifting the model from an individual responsibility to a community responsibility? That looks like shading your walkways, making sure there's places where you can go and cool off that does not hurt your budget. That means working with our utilities to create some programs that makes it uh, the energy cost more equitable for those who need it. Um, that that to me is is climate justice, and you know there's a huge tie into Dolores Huerta because um, the the labor work who's who's suffering the most, who doesn't have a voice at the table, all of those things um, come into the fold and into the conversation when we're talking about climate justice. We've had such a great discussion around the table today, and I'm grateful to know every single person here. We have great weather right now. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, the yeah. you know, the move from climate justice. I mean, it's record cool here in, in Tempe this week. It's only 69 degrees Especially in of April, April yeah. you know. Um, and we have some really, you know, shifting focus a little, shifting the mood a little. We have some really, really great events happening this weekend that um, Brenda is going to talk to us about. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about them. Thank you, Chris. It is so nice. And it's Foodie Friday all April. Every Friday this month, there are food trucks, live music, and games from 5 to 10 p.m. at Tempe Beach Park. Um, All the details are at downtowntempe.com. There are some awesome food trucks, too. If you like Elote, you can go see the Elote Man. His handle is uh, at Elote Man AZ. Minburi Thai. Tzatziki food truck, classic crepe eateries, lobster, um, a lot of good things to do too. Wow. Have music by Chuckles, Zony Girl skate rentals, Jenga. I hope it's those giant big Jenga pieces. <laughs> okay, good, good. Spinny chairs, which are amazing. Connect four and cornhole card games. And Saturday at 8 a.m., if you're a morning person, 
and you like Easter eggs, there is an Easter egg hunt at Kiwanis Park. So you want to get the kids out there, grab some of that candy, and have a really <laughs> good time. Um, and if you haven't seen it, there's a huge crescent moon lit up on A Mountain through yes. April 23rd in honor of Ramadan. You don't have to hike up to the mountain to see it, but it is a nice walk. That's Sorry. our show for this week. Thanks for listening. Next week, we are going boating on Woo-hoo! Tempe Town Lake with council member Doreen Garland. We're talking about health, happiness, Pat's Run, and all the things going on at Town Lake. Tempe This Week, the podcast. 